0: I'm Christopher Haluski. And I'm Jason Alejandro. And this is Dissection, brought to you by JK Design. Anne Jordan
1: designs book covers and other graphic objects. Her work explores the intersection of typography and materials. Much of her work is made in collaboration with her husband, Mitch Goldstein. Together they are based in Rochester, New York. Anne earned her BFA in graphic design from RISD and her MFA from Virginia Commonwealth University. She's taught graphic design at MICA and VCU. All right, so in this interview, we speak with Anne about the book cover that she made for The Woman Who Read Too Much, a novel I want to say it was Stanford University Press, published by Stanford University Press.
0: Yeah, so we got to talk to Anne and she talked a lot in this interview about her process for how she goes about designing book covers, which starts with reading the manuscript. Um, which was kind of interesting, just talk a little bit about that and the research she does leading into um, designing the cover. Um, and then she talked a lot about her process in terms of the materials and working with her hands and using physical objects to design. So
1: to kind of describe this cover a little bit, it's minimal, it's um, it's spare, it's, I mean, beautiful. Um, imagine you have Two sheets of paper or you're kind of flipping through pages in a book and um the type that is on one page is it almost could be like cut through or reflected onto the page behind it like there's light coming through um so you're talking about like there's layering there's opacity um something about it even
0: feels a little bit like skin or parchment or something right yeah which i think that's a nod to the period where the, in which this novel is set which is kind of like an ancient setting.
1: Yeah. And it's, um, you know, this isn't like brightly colored, it's very textural. um, It's really impressive. Um, I remember seeing this cover for the first time and just remembering how striking it was. You have this kind of displaced typography thing happening. um, And it's always really impressive to speak to designers who, you know, sometimes we we think and we take it for granted, right, this idea of simplicity and that Doing something simple is just like, is simple in itself, right? But it's not. It takes so much work to get there. And even the process that Anne goes into in the interview, you know, sheds light on that and how much work she went through to end up with this, which was not um, not one of the ideas that she was initially really even considering.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting. The idea of simplicity and how simple this cover is visually, and yet she started at a place where it was very messy and complex and she was using hair extensions and they were kind of weaving through the letters and it was really um, very different stylistically. And then yet somehow, you know, through her process, she ended up here with this more simple style of cover. Um, so it really interesting to hear how she kind of worked her way through it. One of the things I love
1: about Anne's work, and also, you know, she works with her, her husband and collaborator, Mitch, um, and, and so the two of them together is they, they do a lot of, they utilize a lot of different kinds of media as they're working. So like you mentioned, hair, um, cut typography, cut paper, uh, lighting, photography, video, they kind of do it all. Um, one of the, Uh, kind of supplemental, you know, uh, things that she had sent us was even a video file, um, you know, where um, she's kind of doing, playing around with the paper and the typography and stuff. Harkening back to one of our earlier interviews with Nancy Skolos and Tom Waddell, um, and who Mitch and Anne both learned from, Mm -hmm. you can definitely see the correlation to their their styles, their process, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's just really interesting. I love seeing designers who work in that way, who... There's a high level of experimentation and, and rigor, but also like they kind of just get to sometimes discover things and have fun, and then let that define, you know, the, the final result.
0: Yeah, so it was a really good interview. Hope you guys enjoy it.
2: Hi, I'm Ann Jordan. I'm a book cover designer based in Rochester, New York.
1: Ann, thank you so much for uh, joining us. We're really excited to talk about the cover design that you did for The Woman Who Read Too Much. Um, Tell us a little bit about how this project got started. I mean, where did it begin?
2: Uh, Well, actually, it began with you, Jason, because you introduced me to Rob Ely at Stanford University Press, and he sent this brief along to me, and it sounded great, so I accepted it right away. Um, It's a historical fiction novel about a really amazing, strong woman in... um, persia who did all the things that women are not supposed to do like learning how to read and becoming a poet and removing her veil so it was a really beautiful story and i was excited to do the project
0: so one question i have that i'm curious about because i've never done cover design myself so this is a really question for both of you guys is do you read the book before you work on the cover design or at least a portion of the book
2: well, in this case, I did because um, Stanford University Press provided me with the complete manuscript, and that's my preference. But sometimes I don't get to read the whole manuscript because it might not be finished, so they'll send a detailed summary or an excerpt or chapter or something like that. But I read every word that's provided to me, so it ranges depending on the publisher in this case, I had the pleasure of reading the entire book before I started working on the visuals. How about you, Jason?
1: Um, So it usually depends on what else is going on. Um, So as a former full-time designer, even with all the time we had, we didn't really have enough time to read everything. Um, But we also had the editor like at our disposal so we could, always hop in into their office and or pop into their office and like have a conversation with them. Um, uh, and if you wanted the manuscript was always around like on the server and usually you had a printed copy at your desk. Um, so, uh, it really depended on the book. There were books where I was definitely into the content, into the subject matter and I would read it. And then there were other books where I was like, there's no way I can read this physics book. Um, (laughs) Uh, and I'm just lucky that I can pronounce, you know, a word in the subtitle, but, um, uh, but a novel is really nice. I haven't really done many novels. Uh, I'm sure that would be kind of a much more interesting read than some of the, some of the textbooks and things that I've gotten. But I, am wondering, you know, as you read the, as you read this novel, as you read this book, um, are you making notes? Are you doing sketches? Uh, do you kind of wait till the end to, to, to get into the, the creative process or is that reading really part of the creative process for you? Where does, where does it start for you?
2: The, the words are the entire inspiration. So as I'm reading, I have a pen and a highlighter. I always print the manuscript out for some reason I can't read on screen. So I'm definitely notating things, um, on the paper And the task really for me is to identify important keywords or words that spark some sort of visual image or that point to some kind of process or material that could be used to make a visual image. So I'm sifting through the manuscript for directions essentially that I can then use to design the cover with. But I can't really sketch out anything that looks remotely like a cover at that point. um, Because the way my process works is kind of backwards, where I kind of have to go through this experimentation phase with physical materials in order to figure out what the image will look like versus picturing an image in my mind, sketching it out, and then making it to match the sketch. So I kind of discover the sketches through the process of um, exploring the visual directions that come out of those words. Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and we're going to have some of the images that you sent to, uh, to us. We'll have those online as well, so that listeners can kind of get a, a, a better uh, example of what exactly you're saying. Um, but, I think that's one of the things that really interested us about your process is the materiality of it. Um, you know, uh, Some other designers that come to mind that we've interviewed on the podcast are uh, Nancy Skolos and Tom Weddell. And, and so I'm wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on that process. It obviously varies in terms of the materials, the content, um, the aesthetic. Uh, the kind of methods that you're using from project to project. Um, But what were some, I guess what were some of the materials that you were using for this project? And do you do any research before you start to work with materials or?
2: Well, first of all, Nancy Scullis and Thomas Waddell are probably my biggest influences. Uh, They were my teachers at RISD and they're very close friends of Mitch and mine. Um, So they're really important to how I work and a lot of what I do is modeled on what I learned from them. So the way it usually goes is I'll collect those keywords from the text, keep a bunch of notes going as I'm reading. And then when I finish the manuscript, I will narrow those down to the ones that I think are the most interesting and put them all on one sheet of paper and just kind of sit with them for a while. And I consider this all to be the research phase. So from that narrowed down list of words, I'll start making notes about what kinds of uh, materials or methodologies or tools that those words make me think of. So for example, if one of the words is perspectives, that might lead me to take the title of the book and photograph it from a hundred different perspectives or look at it through a bunch of different types of glass lenses so I'll be making little notes about that kind of thing um, to match up with all these words and then Mitch and I will sit down together Mitch is my husband and we collaborate on a lot of these things and we'll think about what process or material sounds like the most fun to work with. Usually we try to pick something that we've never done before or worked with before so that it can be exciting for us and like a little bit of a, um, you know, feel like we're on the frontier discovering or exploring something. And then after that, I take a trip, a shopping trip through my collection of stuff which is everything from pretty much any art supply you can think of to collection of plastic wrappers from things I get delivered to the house or like some weird thing we found at the hardware store that might be useful someday. Just all this stuff that we keep uh, collected in our studio. We're kind of like organized hoarders. And I'll also sometimes go on a shopping trip through Uh, Michael's or Home Depot with this list in hand and just be on the lookout for anything, any kind of physical tool or material that might align with these words. And I'll gather all this stuff together on a table in my studio and then start playing with the materials and taking pictures of them or throwing them on the scanner or layering uh, multiple Images together, cutting things up, reassembling them, essentially trying to figure out how to make an image from them and specifically how to incorporate some kind of typography with them. So that'll lead to a whole bunch of digital images because ultimately this the final piece has to be something that's two-dimensional, digital, reproducible. So I try to get the materials into that format as quickly as possible. And then Mitch and I'll sit down in front of Lightroom, which by the way, is the greatest software of all time. Um, it's totally changed the way that we work. We'll sit down in Lightroom and look at all these experiments and identify which you know, three or four or five has a nugget of something that we want to pursue and refine. So that is, that's the research phase. That's how we get ideas. That's how I sketch. Um, I sketch with my hands and my camera with these materials on a table, you know, in physical space. I really have a hard time sketching on a blank page in InDesign or the, the Illustrator artboard. So that's pretty much the process. You know, there's a lot of room for variation within that and depending on the tools that we choose can lead to a lot of different types of images.
0: So for this book, what were some of the words that stood out that you noted? And then what were the materials or objects that those words led to?
2: So the book is, it's about this woman who uh, was martyred for her religious beliefs and her socially radical ideas in ancient Persian history. So she uh, there's a famous incident in the book where she was in front of a whole bunch of important men in the court, and she unveiled herself. and, you know that was unheard of. And she also learned to read and write and became a famous poet. And eventually, at the end of the book, she's executed for being this transgressive, you know, socially radical woman. so so words that were really important in this book were, reading, text, literacy, poetry. Unveiling was probably the most important word along the lines of unveiling. um, Exposing, revealing, breaking open, transgression. Those were the words that I was thinking about. So that led me to choose the materials of paper, hair, and fabric to play with. And I got a big pile of all sorts of different fabrics from Joanne. I hit Sally Beauty Supply to get some hair extensions. And I have a collection of different types of paper that we've hoarded over the years in the studio. And I just put all that on the table and started taking pictures, scanning the materials, um, cutting up paper, weaving hair through it. Just finding ways to integrate type with the image. With some of the fabric experiments, the printed type on transparencies, and then scanned the transparencies and the negative and the fabric sandwiched together as if they were negative. Um, t- transparencies are a tool that I use all the time. It's really helpful for that to, to make that fusion of material and typography, especially in the scanner. So that's, uh, that was my sketching phase, just figuring out how fabric, hair, and paper can come together to make an image. That process usually takes me probably five days. I, I spend the most time on that sketching process because it takes a long time, first of all, to get something to, to figure out something that's going to work. And I also find that all the various ideas that don't get used in one project become seeds for another project. So I think for me, it's worth investing a big chunk of time in that because I know it'll be valuable down the road in some other way that I can't predict.
1: Why do you think your process... um, Like, what is it about working with your hands or using different materials that appeals to, to you so much? I mean, I'm sure people may be listening to this. and might be like, I could just find a stock photo of hair, right? And Photoshop this or something. But what is it about your process that you think? Um, I mean, why, why is this your process, in other words?
2: It's really fun. It's uh, driven by curiosity about image making and a conviction that anything in the whole world can become an image. And it's a fun puzzle to figure out how I can take some random thing from Sally Beauty Supply and integrate it with text and turn it into a book cover. It's a challenge and a puzzle and um, something I haven't done before, unlike opening up a new document and InDesign and where everything is familiar. So there's a um, sense of excitement and curiosity that definitely leads me to work this way. I also find that accidents are more likely to happen when I'm working with real stuff. And when I'm combining my hands with my digital tools and moving in and out of the computer, Usually, the work that I make, it's not just it's it's not just you know phase one is by hand and then I'm going to the computer and then it's done. It's not linear like that. It goes back and forth, and the images move in and out of the computer. I might make something, take a picture of it, print it, then fold that print up, take a scan of that. So there's a layering that happens, Um, and I think. Uh, that layering leads to images that are a little bit mysterious where you can't quite identify how they were made. That's really appealing to me. Um, When people look at my work and they think that I did it in some like 3D modeling program, but actually it's a piece of paper that I just cut up with my hands and took a picture of, that's really cool to me that um, the materials can lose their, um, surface identity and just become a visual communication device that is not attached to, you know, the recognizable material of hair extensions, for example. So I think it's, and I think it's also a combination or, uh, uh, driven by the fact that I just get really bored sitting at the computer all day. My back hurts, my eyes hurt. I have carpal tunnel syndrome. (laughs) It's just really unpleasant to always be working to something that's attached to a USB cord.
1: So are you also considering um, uh, the ways in which like the materials are like you're adding meaning maybe to the content or you're because you're you're translating it in a lot of ways, right? You're you're taking it, you're you're building something physical out of it. And then you're maybe doing something to it on the computer, then printing that, then doing something else. And so all of those layers, I mean, they're kind of adding different meanings, like Sally's beauty supply, like, and hair extensions, you know, and the way that that relates to an ancient Persian, you know, character, like it it means something. So like, is that part of the process too? Like, do you get that deep into it or?
2: I think no matter, no matter how you make a mark, and what type of market it is form communicates. So if you're going to present words alongside visual form, really, they become one in the same. So the material that's used to form the visual shape of the word also needs to inform that word's meaning. And there's a point where that visual verbal connection just kind of clicks. And the the visual shape of the word and the material that's used to form that word sync up and there's a visual verbal connection that's really exciting to me because it enhances and amplifies the meaning of the word in a way that wouldn't be possible without the that infusion of material into that word
0: so looking at some of the kind of preliminary sketches and photographs you had done for this project um you were kind of going down the route of having this hair interwoven through the words of the title of the book wrapped around paper. Um, But then at some point that shifted and the the concept behind the cover design changed. So talk a little bit about that process and how you went from one idea to a totally different idea that was actually the final cover.
2: That happens all the time. And that's one of the, the reasons I love working this way is because the final cover is always different than what i expected at the beginning it's always a surprise because of the accidents that physical materials you know give to me they're like these little prizes so after the initial experimentation phase i was most interested in some of the tests i had made where the hair was weaving through letters that i cut out of paper so i pursued that idea to put together a cover where the hair was wrapping around a page and it was backlit. So it had this um, glowing quality to it. And I really loved that cover and I thought I was done. Um, So I started cleaning up the studio and I had, I had made all these different versions of the hair weaving in and wrapping around the page. So I had maybe 10 different setups of this, and they were just in a big stack. And as I was taking the hair out of the paper cutouts, I was left with several paper cutouts stacked one on top of the other. And I just peeled one up quickly and saw this whole other idea come out of the materials. It was just there waiting for me. So uh, that is that's something that happens all the time. And uh, I always think about something that Nancy Skolos told me, which is when she and Tom are making collages, she's always looking at the pile of stuff that gets pushed to the side. Because inevitably, that is a lot more interesting than the collage that she's really focusing on trying to make awesome. Um, There's just all this stuff that the world gives you. And if you have an eye open and um, are really observing what's happening, then you can catch those moments and use them to your advantage. So that's what happened here, right? The final cover um, was all based on this random iPhone picture that I took while cleaning up the studio. So once that happened, then it was just a question of refining that particular idea until it uh, got to a point where I felt like it was a book cover. There's there's a pretty large gap between the initial idea, like the, the test experiment type image or the iPhone snapshot and the final cover. Um, and that's actually the the part that I really enjoy because it kind of... Picks up momentum at that point, and you can put together a list of okay, I need to figure out the type, I need to figure out how I'm gonna light it, you know, and it's really um, clear what needs to happen. Um, and it's exciting to watch that really messy sketch image turn into something that looks like an actual recognizable book cover. So that spontaneous. Um, the thing that happens with real materials, that's where all the juicy stuff is.
0: So do you ever struggle with kind of abandoning one idea and moving on to the next one? Like, I know that for myself, whenever I work on a project, you know, just like you, inevitably it starts one place and it ends up somewhere very different. But I find that at times I don't want to let go of that first idea. I, I, I kind of get married to it and I'm reluctant to abandon it and move on to something, even though I know that that next thing is probably the better thing to pursue. I'm kind of married to the first idea, so do you ever deal with that same kind of process where you're reluctant to, yeah.
2: Yeah, of course, and it's even worse when you spend like four days straight on something and you've gotten it perfect and then you have to scrap it. But uh, the... The thing that makes me okay with that is knowing that every idea can be useful somewhere else. And that's happened many times. In fact, part of my shopping phase now when I go shopping through my collection of stuff is I also open up Lightroom and I look through all the miscellaneous test experiments from past projects And there's tons of nuggets of ideas in there. And pretty much every project, there's usually one or two little things that I pull from past experiments that become really helpful. Um, So nothing is wasted. Save everything and it'll be useful later. I also rely on my husband, Mitch, in the editing process quite a bit because he is much uh, quicker to kill things than I am. He can kill them pretty painlessly, whereas I, I do struggle with it sometimes.
0: I'm sure he didn't spend four days slaving over it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's true. It's easier to kill something when when you don't know all the sweat that went into it.
1: So, Anne, what would you say is the hardest part of of this process for you?
2: Well, I think... Anytime you're trying to fill a blank page, there's a sense of anxiety. Um, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes, well, pretty much every project, at some point I have this sense of, oh my gosh, it's not going to work this time. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, my career's over. I'm going to be starved for ideas. That's spiraling panic that happens when you have a blank page in front of you and a deadline and um, an expectation to come up with something that's really beautiful. So that's a struggle. I think that's probably something that a lot of different artists struggle with. Um, Another struggle is just the inefficient process that I take. It's not something that can be rushed, you know, right before a deadline, I really have to plan ahead. And it takes me usually two to three weeks of full time work to get a cover that I'm really satisfied with. Uh, And if I don't plan ahead, then I that means I have to skip that experimentation phase, which is the most important part for me. Um, so yeah, I'd say anxiety and inefficiency, my number two, my number one struggles. You
1: talked a little bit about, you know, how, how this one idea sort of led to another idea. Um, I'm wondering, were there any other like happy accidents along the way? You sent us a bunch of images, um, you know, with different materials, there's fabrics, there's like sheer fabrics, there's more opaque ones. Um, there's type where there's the counters are missing from the letters. Um, there's like layered and repeating things that look like they're kind of like staggered or offset. Um, potentially there might be stuff that you might've like either moved around or manipulated while it was being photographed or scanned. Um, Mm -hmm. like what are, can you talk about some of the the things that made you happiest throughout that process?
2: I mean, the things that I was most excited about were the, the hair and the paper relationship, which is why that was the one I pursued. But I think there's a lot of cool stuff happening with the fabric that's on the scanner scanned as a negative because it allowed me to sandwich typography in there uh, in a way that made it seem like the type was made out of fabric itself. Like, in um, fabric experiment five, there's a little crop it's like a crop of the word read too much and the selvage, uh edge of the fabric and the fabric puts texture into that type in a way that I couldn't do um, you know I couldn't fake it so it was re- it really is this relationship of the transparent type layered with that fabric and then all sandwiched together from the scanner so that's something that I'd like to explore more of in the future I haven't found a perfect application for that yet but I'm sure that some will come along where fabric is just the key Um, so yeah I was also excited about uh, there's an image where there's a black vertical bar in the center and that to me read as a book spine. And then the hair goes into these lines of fabric that the fabric is being stretched by the scanner. So that idea of two different things coming together, um, that are, that's, uh, married with that linear similarity. That's something that I would maybe pull into a future project. I can pretty much find an idea in anything, um, any image. That's the thing with with ideas is they never, you never run out of them. One idea can become a portal into a hundred other ideas. And once you narrow into a material or a process, you know, you could spend the rest of your life working with fabric and photography and never exhaust the possibilities. So that's why it's, I don't know why I always have the, the anxiety phase where I feel like it's not going to work this time because um, it always does. Like as long as you start making something, you'll end up with plenty more ideas really than you know what to do with.
1: Yeah. That's really interesting. I mean, it's almost, I think sometimes too, it's our, we're we're maybe not anxious about, like, not having the ideas. We're almost anxious to just get started in a way because we actually know that that's going to be the case, that there's going to be ideas that emerge from it. Um, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I think for me, I... Um, like, first, when I first get a project, I get really excited about it. But then once that passes, I'm like... And nothing immediately, like, pops into my head that's when I get the, like, I can't do this. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to, yeah, this the, is the one, this is the one where I'm going to yeah. totally drop it. Yeah. This yeah. Is, this is, uh, yeah. They're going to have to, you know, is there a kill fee in this contract because what's going on, you know? And, uh, but I think that, and I, I feel like we've had this conversation here too, maybe among some of the designers and stuff about, um, there's just something inherent in, I think, creative people where, we kind of have to be either unhappy or (laughs) like Under under pressure, stressed out, whatever it is to feel like you can make something, you know? And like, there's always that, uh, anxiety in some form or another with being a creative person with, with being productive and making things and whatever it is. But, um, So, so I think that, yeah, that's, it's pretty common, but
2: I think it's, it's a good thing too, even though it's really painful and uncomfortable while you're going through it. But I do a lot of other types of graphic design too, that support this type of work. So I do a lot of corporate work where I'm following a style guide or, um, you know, doing the same thing over and over. And those kinds of projects don't, tend to give me those same uh, panic attacks. They don't keep me up at night. I'm not thinking about them while I'm exercising in the morning, but it's the book cover projects that I'm waking up in the middle of the night and having to have a piece of paper next to my bed to make sure I write down that idea that I'm thinking about while I'm swimming laps, That's that I'm constantly like, okay, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And I think that's a sign that the project is a challenge uh, and that's something that really energizes me. Yeah. So when it starts becoming easy, then it's probably a sign to move on to something else.
1: That's a good point. Yes,
0: very well said.
1: So Anne, can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and this project as well?
2: Sure. My website is anatype.com and I'm on Twitter, but I really use twitter more to listen rather than speak so you won't see very many tweets for me but i'm on twitter at anatype and that's about my only internet presence you can send me an email uh, or find me on twitter or on my website
0: thank you so much it's been really fascinating talking to you
2: thanks so much for the invitation really nice to meet you guys and see you again jason thanks
1: To see a slideshow with images related to the project for this episode, please go to dissection.jkdesign.com. And while
0: you're there, you can also learn more about us and listen to past episodes. Also, don't forget to go to iTunes where you can subscribe and leave us a positive review if you like the show, which we hope you did. And you can also listen on SoundCloud and you can leave comments on this particular episode there. Dissection has been brought to you by JK Design, a branding, advertising, and design agency with offices in New York and New Jersey. To learn more, check us out at jkdesign.com.